Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm Erin Bowles. I'm an actor, writer, and I can't think of a third thing today. Our guest today is Max Gross, and we're discussing the first slash second book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Hi, Max. Can you introduce yourself? Hello. I'm Max Gross, he, him. I'm a Brooklyn-based comedian and writer. I am a contributor for Reductress and The Onion, and I'm super excited to have reread this. It was really cute to go back and reread a book from childhood. So I love rereading this. Yeah. So the, it's published in 1950. The Second World War has just ended. Cold War starts. Korean War starts. There's just like a lot of international turnover. So like India forms a republic. It gets its first president. Belgium, there's a referendum on the monarchy. Like, do you like it or not? And 57% says, yeah, bring them back, which causes the government to just collapse. And I don't think it goes well. Oh my God. I didn't know that. (laughs) 1950, real messy year. I think something i'm realizing like the the longer time goes on is that like every day and age is terrifying and confusing and (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's always unprecedented times and i think that must have been just a crazy a crazy time to be and you're starting to see the rise of like anti-communism not just in the U.S., but internationally. So, like, there is this singer-actor named Paul Robeson whose passport gets revoked because he's supposedly communist-related, and it doesn't get reinstated for eight years. And in South Africa, they pass the Suppression of Communism Act. Everything's sort of starting. And C.S. Lewis is Clive Staples Lewis, which for some reason is very funny to me. Um, I did not know that's what it stood for. CS feels like younger somehow. And I know that as a kid, he went by Jack. Where's that come from? It was a dog that he had. He died (laughs) when he was four. And he was just really fucked up about it. I'm Jack now. Jack or Jack C. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to name myself after the dead dog, which (laughs) good for him. That's a baller move, I guess. He's born in Ireland. His dad is a lawyer and grandfather is a priest. He loved like Beatrix Potter. He wrote and illustrated his own sort of like animal tales as a kid. Him and his brother made a world called Boxin that's very much like a Narnia predecessor. He gets interested in like Scandinavian and Norse and Greek mythology. And in his teen years, I believe goes to boarding school in England and has this huge culture shock. He says, the strange English accents with which I was surrounded seemed like the voices of demons. But what was worst was the English landscape. At that moment, I conceived a hatred for England, which took many years to heal. Pop off, King. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's incredible. (laughs) And then the First World War starts and he is in the trenches he early in his teen years becomes an atheist he describes himself as like being very angry with god for not existing and equally angry with god for creating the world and in between the wars like comes back to religion he is very good friends with J.R.R. tolkien and like credits tolkien with part of him coming back to christianity and i think like this was hard for me to like wrap my head around but i think it's like c.s lewis i think is like a very he's a religious scholar and has like a very scholarly mind and i think tolkien like logics him through religion 
and like that's what gets him back um it's crazy yeah but after world war ii starts uh he and his family they take in evacuees children from london there are three girls named margaret mary and catherine he does just a lot of like religious speaking so he does radio programs about religion during air raids he talks like to the raf on holiday weekends his death gets overshadowed by the jfk assassination which happens 55 minutes after he dies what (laughs) i guess i forgot that these are all happening at the same time clive staples lewis and john f kennedy i was i had to i was like what is the jf (laughs) (laughs) for just a second I got there. Narnia starts technically in 1914 when he's like 16. There is like a picture he draws of a fawn with parcels in a snowy wood. Wait, I think I've seen this drawing. Yeah. He like doesn't finish the first book until 1949. He's had that since he was a teenager. And then one day when he was about 40, I said to myself, let's try to make a story about it. The first book is dedicated to his goddaughter, Lucy Barfield. Her father was a friend since 1919 of Lewis's. He was a poet and philosopher. And the fifth book, Don Tradar, is dedicated to her foster brother. And Lucy became a dance and music teacher, but developed MS and lived with MS for 40 years. And last five years of her life could not move or speak. But her foster brother, who the other book is dedicated to, she liked to listen to him read Narnia to her over and over and over again. How did this book come into your life? What's your story with this book? I don't remember how the books ended up in my house. I just Mm -hmm. remember having the box of all of them. It was seven, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just remember having a box of like all seven of them and being like, okay, well, whatever, there's a volume here. Mm-hmm. Surely this is. And I had like heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because that's the most famous one. So I started with that one. I read mm-hmm. that one, then read all the way, and then read the first one, which I don't know. I'm like, did every kid do that? Probably. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to go read the first one until I finish all this. But the funniest thing to me was I didn't find out until years later people were like oh my god yeah there's the religious overtones of that I was like the what (laughs) (laughs) and then I went back and reread it and was like oh my god how did I (laughs) I 100% missed all of this like oh yeah like Jewish kid I missed it all too like I read the book in second grade for class. We had like a breakout group and it was me and one other girl. And her parents said, you're not allowed to read the book because it has magic. The Jesusiest book ever. Like, Aslan died for Edmund's sins, literally. (laughs) And like, that is a thing that I like, wish I kind of never learned and just like could keep it as these books because I think like, I I just really love the surface level, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I loved the surface level so much. I just loved the idea of like, as a kid, I was so drawn to the idea of like, what if there was a way that I could get away from absolutely everything? And what if it was in my house? Yeah. The like proximity to magic was so exciting to me as an idea. I didn't think any of it had to do with any kind of religion. I just was like, nope, this is just 100% magic, 100% whimsy was so all about it i know i got the box set i think at a scholastic book fair shout out to them yes shout out and i think it was third grade i read it in second grade and then in third grade the movie came out 
I don't know where my parents found this, but they had found like a BBC miniseries DVD, very low budget version that I had watched a bunch. And then the movie came out and I found this thick movie companion. It was a lot of like behind the scenes movie stuff and I didn't know at the point that I wanted to go work in entertainment, but I think that's why it like made a big impact with me and I would carry it everywhere. and. And like that movie made a really big impact on me. I discovered this morning, I was talking to my boyfriend and I was like, we're gonna have Turkish delight. And he goes, what? Yes. And he's never consumed any media about it. None? And I was like, none. And I was like, where were you? How, what? And also I had to explain like, yeah, this boy like sacrifices his whole family for some candy. So we're gonna see if the candy is good. Again, that's crazy. Yeah. To have avoided that, I think I remember that on the cover of the book, it was like soon to be made mm -hmm. into a major motion picture. It like yeah. said something on the book about this is not a movie yet, but it will be. And when I was rereading it, like I did see the movie and I was kind of like, oh, I am slightly remembering. Like if I had not reread it, there was a lot that I would have forgotten about. But then reading it again, I was like, yep, all coming back. There we go. I only ever read the first book, Magician's Nephew. I think because in my mind I was like, no, the author has the intent of this being the first one. So I have to like respect the intent. And then I, that was really fun, I think, because they were just like jumping in, I think, into like puddles and like showing up in other places. And I could never, ever, ever get into Horse and His Boy because it was <laughs> just, it was like a horse and a boy in a desert. And I was like, this is so boring. And I was also very much like, if there's not a girl in it, I don't care. <laughs> You're like, who am I supposed to relate to? What's exactly. Like my dad found out about Harry Potter and was like trying to get me into it. And I was having none of it. And then he took me to see the movie and I looked a lot like Hermione with the big hair. And I was like, you can leave it. I, I give permission though. <laughs> like, there we go. There's yeah. my access point. I remember very little about any of the other books. If you want to come back and read any of them, we'll do a whole series if you like. I mean, I also audiobook it, but yeah. the audiobook went fast. It was a quick little read. Like, I was on vacation last week and just, like, reading it on my phone on the plane, and it was, it was really oh. delightful. And it's written in a really interesting, like, sort of like the Princess Bride movie of, like, you really feel like someone is telling this to you. It's very... Yeah, I forgot yeah. that it kind of breaks the fourth wall, where, like, there's some point where... The writing is like, we can't tell you how scary it was or your parents won't let you read this book or yeah, <laughs> something exactly. like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I forgot that it was like playful about it, like that kind of. It's so playful. My first note is again about the movie. I was obsessed. Like it's a seed of like when you go back and you're like, oh, that was gay of me in hindsight of how much I was obsessed with Susan and the actress who played her, Anna Popplewell, who by the way is in The Nun too. I went to see that movie in oh, theaters recently and I was like, Susan does a great job. But I was obsessed with her. I thought she was like the definition of gorgeous. It was her and Anne Hathaway. But one of my favorite things is that it's dedicated to his goddaughter and it says girls grow quicker than books so by the time he finishes it she's going to be too old for it but someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again and that just felt very nice That's for this show cute. yeah my first note is what the fuck is up with edmund why is this boy <laughs> i i i don't know what i thought I was like, I know he's like kind of like a little evil, wicked child, but I forgot that he's just like baselessly spiteful constantly. Yeah. I forgot that he's just fucking out to get everyone all the time. 
I was like, yeah, I'll literally give my family up for some candy. I don't give a fuck. And I understand that the candy is like magical, but I don't think it needed to be for him to, <laughs> to do that. No, I think he was just like, yeah, I, I think maybe because he like thought so little of Lucy that he was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just like go along. Yes. And have some fun in the woods and it'll all be fine. But I was thinking of like most hated the siblings in young people's literature and I was like it's Edmund Pevensey and Amy March yep. the, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Peter kept calling him a, a beast yeah. like genuinely was like that is a genuine insult is so funny to me it's like and why he, are you being so beastly <laughs> and he's gonna be like nine <laughs> like, yeah just... so it's like a third grader fourth grader who's just like spite motivated and Turkish delight motivated and that's it and I was an only child and like so desperate for siblings and like company I wondered about you because I was so jealous of like you have a whole group to go adventuring with I (laughs) so like now looking back I'm like oh this kind of made sense I have one sibling I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me kind of giving Edmund vibes like kind of (laughs) kind of very much giving Edmund vibes like we at my choice have not spoken in four years it's been great like he's not allowed in my parents house anymore oh my god family has since been like fuck this we're good but like growing up in that environment part of what was so appealing to me about Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe was I was like for love of fucking god I wish that I could crawl in this closet and not have to deal with like living with this nightmare person it was cute that it was a story about like siblings uniting but I think part of me super related to like oh yeah and then there's one shitty brother who's gonna go fuck it up for everybody else yeah <laughs> like, <I was> like, <laughs> yep I live with one of those the characters are like I don't know how Edmund could just be so beastly all the time I'm like yeah I do (laughs) it like baffled me so much and then there is one throwaway line right at the end that like my ears really perked up where the battle has already happened which was interesting to me is like the battle pretty much takes place off screen and it's like a page in the book when I was listening back to it I was like I had to rewind because I was like, surely there was more of this that I missed Mm -hmm. and there was not. And Lucy is like healing everybody. And the writing says not only is he healed of his wounds, but he's looking better than Lucy had ever seen him look. Oh, for ages. In fact, ever since his first term at that horrid school, which was where he had begun to go wrong, he had become his real old self again and could look you in the face. What happened at school? And then I was wondering, like, is Edmund C.S. Lewis? Like, was he just an asshole because of something that happened at school? And then he, like, this is Aslan, this is Jesus coming to be like, it's okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, because I caught that at the end, too, and was like, this seems interesting of you to try to throw in an explanation for his character development on the last page. Yeah. (laughs) Being like, and this is why he was a dick. But I didn't think about connecting it to, like, C.S. Lewis. But yeah, like, what What do you mean? What was going on at school? What happened? <laughs> what happened? He has so much animosity towards Peter that I'm like, did something happen at school with Peter? Like, what happened? Um, yeah, I, I felt like I did not know how that got there. I was like, well, yeah, I guess he's just a little shit. And at the end, they're like, well, here's why he was a little shit. And also he's secure. <laughs> yeah, done. Like, okay, good. But I wanted to ask... And, and we sort of touch on this, like, where did you, like, explore as a kid? And, like, this is at the professor's house, who I think is supposed to be, like, kind of a grandparent figure, just, like, a much older person that you don't 
really understand. And I would explore my grandparents' house, like, in my teen years, mostly to steal stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. Because <laughs> it was like, these people are mean. I love trinkets. And that's a great place for them. So I grew up in, like, suburban Maryland. And in our backyard, there was, it was like a storm creek. Like, it wasn't, yeah. like, an actual river or anything. But, like, I used to love being back there when I was a little kid and would just, like, go follow it through everybody else's backyard. And then I kind of stopped doing it because it got harder to do. But there was somebody, I forget how I figured this out. I think it was because it was at the bottom of a hill that people went to for sledding. But it was, like, through somebody else's backyard and you had to walk kind of a ways. But there was, like, a lake that you could get to by walking through the woods and that was like my spot with a bunch of my friends in middle school we'd go over there we like there's one winter that we like built a little hut out of a bunch of sticks and like we did a horrible job at it and just like could not get it to stay up but like we were we were out there building stuff like pushing it out on the lake when it was frozen we weren't walking out there because it's dangerous like later when I was a teenager I'm pretty sure I like smoked weed there one time because by the time I came back as a teenager, somebody had built a little fire pit and it was like, okay, somebody else found this too. I read that a few years before I found the bigger spot, but like the one in my backyard, I very much kind of saw it as that in my mind. Yeah. Halloween was a couple weeks ago. I kept thinking like my family, our old house, like backed up to, it was like a tiny bit of woods and then a road behind it. You know, like in hindsight, it was just a buffer, but that's where me and my dad would like take our old pumpkins out and just sort of put them in the distance. And then we would go and be like, oh, something, you know, somebody ate it. <laughs> and that always felt like very mystical and magical. And then there was a lake next to the house that had, if you like went over the, the artificial hill, there was like a little wooden path and that I also grew up in Maryland and one of the biggest things is like leaving that that is a gorgeous state like the greenery is unbelievable yeah, yeah. <laughs> like magical yeah I didn't appreciate that until I lived other places and was like well damn oops yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just everywhere exactly I live in LA which is obviously like a lot of buildings a lot of desert and last year I went to Kentucky where my parents are from and I was blinded by how green everything was it was like I was wearing green glasses or something it was, <laughs> it was bizarre and I was like oh <laughs> Yeah, every time I go home, I'm like, like, my parents have moved and they're not far from where I grew up. Like, they're still in the same town, but they're in an area that's like not as wooded. And even still, it's still like trees that were intentionally planted there. It's not like where we were before, where it's like trees that have been there. Right. But I'm still like, oh, <laughs> like there's more plants on my way walking the dog than there are if I like go to a park yeah. me intentionally in Brooklyn. You guys just have the botanic gardens here. There was some like huge tree that was like hundreds and hundreds of years old. And my mom texted me a couple years ago to be like, it fell. And it felt like this huge momentous of like, a chapter has ended. The tree that's like <laughs> on the flag of like Germantown is gone. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's the Gaithersburg tree. Yes. <laughs> that's ours. That's us. <laughs> text my mom and be like the tree <laughs> you didn't tell me <laughs> i think it was gaithersburg i don't know i remember there was like i went to jewish summer camp in in the poconos but most of the people by most of i mean literally everyone except me and one other kid was from new york and it was me and him from maryland and people would be like oh is maryland 
is there rural is it like a farm <laughs> like no but this like was a farm that we would yeah. drive past and it was like huge 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 open space kind of in the middle of a couple major roads and then just one huge tree mm-hmm. and I would see photographers pull over to get out there like all the time but it was like I, I don't even know how to estimate open space I could give mm-hmm. any measurement and it would be cartoonishly wrong but like it was super beautiful and like that is that the 200 year old tree because it was huge thinking about like portals and like liminal spaces and stuff in childhood I had a really important summer camp it was at a church and then behind the church and the cornfield was a little bit of wooded area and you had to go over this huge hill and then turn and like from the the parking lot the kids like disappeared into the cornfield kind of and that <laughs> always felt like really magical and I just loved that camp so much and then you go down the hill into the woods yeah it's nice to like I'm glad that I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a kid because of all the timing like it let me tie that magic to a certain place like if I hadn't read it until I was an adult I probably would have just kind of mentally kept it to the book whereas instead like it was so important to me as a kid because I was like well that's this place that's my backyard or this other person's backyard that I was just in a lot when I was 12 to 14. Me too and I I love that the marker is the lamppost which is so normal and so like universal that you're you've come in and then you immediately see Mr. Tumnus who like no matter how many times I read this book the betrayal of Mr. Tumnus always hurts it hurts like nobody's business and I always am ready to forgive him. I am always like, he's James McAvoy and he did nothing wrong. <laughs> That's the name of the actor with him. Oh my God. Yes. I I always think of the scarf. Like I yeah. always think of the big ass scarf. And the naked chest. Yes. <laughs> also the audiobook that I listened to, the narrator did an Irish accent for Mr. Thomas and like was British. So it's not like it was super different, but it was extremely funny to hear him like crying to Lucy being like, oh, I'm the evil one who was supposed to give you up. But like sounding like Lucky Charms mask. Yeah. <laughs> like it was so as fully Irish as possible to try to distinguish the voice. And it was just such a funny choice to me. <laughs> Like, all right, Irish Mr. Thomas, let's go. throw it in. I mean, the next thing on my list is that there's this prophecy about sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. The sons of Adam, daughters of Eve thing I knew was a religious thing, and I think I just blew over it. Because as an adult, I am like, you have this whole magical world and Christianity? Like, we... (laughs) (laughs) Where did you guys get that one from? Exactly. And I think, like, the, the first book, Magician's Nephew, is like, going to Narnia for the first time and like how Narnia starts. And so I guess like through that lens, like the kids who came here had Christianity, but it's, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. We can have magic and lions can come back from the dead, but we have one religion. (laughs) Jesus. And that's Jesus. It was so interesting. So I'm trans and my girlfriend is also trans and I was listening to the audiobook and like live texting her <laughs> my reactions to stuff and heard them say I was like I don't really feel like I've heard the religious stuff yet and then they instantly that was when they were like oh are you a daughter of Eve and like son of Adam and I heard that and I texted her I was like I guess I would be a son of Eve if we want to get she was like okay wait that actually sounds bad (laughs) yeah but at the same time I'm like write that down that's an interesting like the C.S. Lewis estate I don't know if they're gonna vouch for it but right yeah they're not gonna like it 
<laughs> they're not gonna like it but i'm having fun with it i was like this is my little interpretation i was like i don't think it's that religious and then the first thing they say to this girl when she gets to an unknown world he's like <laughs> i guess i figured as a kid that it was just a way of avoiding saying human because I mm. thought that it was like, well, how would they know what a human is? But then rereading it, like, they do know what a human yep, is. They, they yep. say human. <laughs> like, you're a human, comma, daughter of Eve. Yeah, yeah I'm like, like, if I were to go there and they would be like, hmm? are, are you a son of Adam? I would be like, <laughs> like, according to which book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like what if thought experiment what if a jewish human or any other religion absolutely any other religion showed up and they would be like like if a buddhist monk walked in there and they're like are you a son of adam and the guy was like mm? <laughs> what it feels like such a universal text and then looking at it as an adult it does feel like actually so narrow and yet has those little details of like escapism that feel really relatable but it's like the thing i keep coming to is like we can have lions that can fly but like we still have to have jesus like he still has to be jesus yeah it was kind of alarming i did not realize how much that was all in there and then rereading it was impossible to miss and like honestly kind of speaks to my childhood growing <laughs> up in like such a jewish area mm-hmm. i'm like wow my childhood was so devoid of like waspy christians i didn't get introduced to those until like teenager young adult yeah. <laughs> and like if i had i don't know if i would have enjoyed this book nearly as much as a kid yeah religion was such a like a non-thing until high school and then it was like other people are religious like I had a couple religious friends but before that it was like the the only thing I remember is once I was in Girl Scouts I was very very young it was like first or second grade and Christmas was coming and the leader's daughter was saying something and I said that I don't go to church and she's like well then you're going to hell and I was like I'm six (laughs) what do you want from me but I wanted to ask we are both writers. How do you feel as a writer about prophecies? Because I feel like it's something I should hate, and yet I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> that's such a good question. I feel like it's it was a very neat and tidy bow to be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is why the witch wants to do this. You're getting in the way of this. I think for the medium that it is, which is like, it is a children's book, mm-hmm. ultimately. I was like, okay, I guess this makes sense. I've never thought about how do I feel about yeah. prophecies as a oh. whole. I feel like it could be kind of a lazy way out of whatever mm-hmm. to be like, by saying, here's the prophecy, you're basically mm-hmm. being like, and now I, as an author, I'm going to explain what the backstory is. Yes. <laughs> it is like, it is a dump. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Backstory info dump. <laughs> but also i didn't fully understand what was going there's something with blood that i i don't know oh. i like got it and then didn't get it i was like yeah. yeah there's four humans and that's why she was so interested in being like oh and then they're like just kidding also part of it is that if there's four of them she will die <laughs> i was like okay sure but i think that oh actually i did want to ask like such a an unnerving detail when i was younger is that the trees themselves are listening and are spies and that still kind of sent a little chill down me which i was surprised by yeah i forgot that that was part of it and then rereading that i was like oh that's okay commentary on surveillance yeah state come through c.s lewis yeah and like Um. communism and the red scare rising yeah, I'm like, oh, what? That's crazy. You lived in a time where it felt like everyone was watching what you did very closely? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Couldn't imagine why. Could not 
But I was also surprised, like, I've read a lot of children's books as an adult because of this podcast. And this was, like, genuinely very frightening. Like, I don't think he really holds back a lot. Like, you don't see the actual moment that Aslan dies because, like, Lucy and Susan turn away. But it's it's brutal. And, like, the scene in which Aslan dies and he's, like, tortured is still it's that and Mr. Tumnus's betrayal that are like, those are still wounds, you know? Those are still such affecting yeah, They, like, scenes. shave him beforehand and, like, fucking bully him before they kill yeah. him. I think that might have been part of what I liked as a kid, is that I felt like, when you're a little kid, you can tell which adults are talking to you in, like, a puppy voice and which adults are talking to you like a person. And, like, this was a book that felt like it was talking to me as a person and being like, yeah, you're eight, but I feel like you can handle violence. Yeah. <laughs> thank also, you for trusting me it was also weird like coming off world war ii and like knowing that c.s lewis i think entered world war one at like 19 it just felt very contrary to the time that they are like peter you got to be a soldier now time to learn swords and war coming out of the post-war world especially in england i just feel like it's an odd odd response they did have a line in it that stuck out to me that was like father christmas because mm-hmm. why would you call him santa is giving them all the presents. Either when he gives the bow to Susan or when he gives the little drops to Lucy. But he says something about like, like don't use this until you, unless you have to because yeah. like war is messy when women are involved. Yes, I wrote that down too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like He's like, Susan, first thing, go into a tree. Second, if you have to, arrows. But I do. Because you're a woman. Yes. (laughs) A thing I feel like I shouldn't like in storytelling, but I do, is it's so perfectly typified here. But like Father Christmas comes in and he's like, I have four special presents, one for each of you with a special talent that will help you later on in the story. It's something I love. (laughs) And and they're like reflective of each character and like, and they'll be surprising. I love that. I love I love because it is like you said, like you're setting things up that get really nicely resolved later on i liked it and i also then went like everything else was kind of magical and then peter's was literally just a sword and shield so i went back and re-listened to it and was like wait did i miss them describing what this does and was like nope they were just like fight (laughs) you got the movie tilda swinton cast as the white witch is perfect like i don't that's who it was in my head the whole Mm -hmm. time absolutely i was like she is perfectly that actually yeah she's not human it's other what happened oh yeah it was bizarre half giant yeah half half... giant half i don't know but i just remember being like wait what jinn like in i think islamic folklore She's no daughter of Eve. She comes of your father, Adam's, here Mr. Beaver bowed, your father, Adam's first wife, her they called Lilith, and she was one of the jinn, and that's what she comes from on one side, and on the other side, she comes of the giants. The only way that I know, like, Lilith or jinn or any of that stuff is from Supernatural, so unfortunately. (laughs) I was waiting for it. So they they said that, and I was like, from Supernatural? Yeah. (laughs) forgot that those are other things first it was like okay yeah never mind never mind no Can't but there's the like streams. last night i was watching click starring adam sandler 
and his daughter is like when she's aged up is but you're looking for something i'm a little scared i have a shirt i have <laughs> i'm not gonna ah uh, okay i'm not gonna go try to find it but i literally was going through a bunch of my clothes right before this and i have a shirt that has a picture of the poster it says i have a lot of thoughts about the adam sandler movie click parentheses 2007 and it has a picture of the poster i was about to turn around and try to find it but it might be under a bunch of stuff so i'm not gonna do that but anyway um, aged up daughter from click i forget what she like because i i did watch supernatural but i a lot of it didn't stick in my mind but there's like a a hot blonde who comes in and like maybe season three or something to help out she's very edgy and she plays his aged up daughter and i was really like i don't i don't know where i know you the sandler verse supernatural verse crossover is very funny how did you feel about the beavers because they play such a big role in this book and there was like a storm drain like a drainage ditch behind my house that i could like i'm a small person i could like go inside of sometimes and my mom was like there are snakes in there stop doing that but a beaver <laughs> lived in there <laughs> um that's one thing I do really love about Maryland is that like you are in the suburbs, but you will see like foxes and deer and chipmunks and squirrels and, and beavers and stuff. I really love that. Yeah, Here it's coyotes and that's it. I used to see like foxes and deer in the neighborhood a fair amount. And now, I, I mean, I'm in New York. It's all rats. Mm -hmm. Rat city, baby. In my mind, the beavers are giant. <laughs> in my mind, yeah. these are huge. They're like Lucy I, size. Yeah. And I was confused as to the level of sentience of, like, some animals have more sentience than others, and it's not super yeah. clear why, but they were just like, yeah, we'll help you immediately. I was like, why do the beavers have human food? Yeah, and sewing machines and... And sewing machines that they want glasses. to run away with. Yeah. They're like, oh, we have to flee. Can I please bring my sewing machine? Mm, we all need like, gloves. Yeah. They're a beaver. Are you not warm enough? <laughs> and Mr. Beaver always likes beer, but Mrs. Beaver doesn't. Yeah, like, getting fucked up. Cracks a cold one with the boys. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very charming how little explanation is given. <laughs> yeah. 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 And these beavers are helpful and nice and they eat soup and beer. Yeah. And they see humans and they're like, I got it. I know what it is. But I think that was something I kind of liked about the books then and now is that there is this like sense of like the resistance and like underground and we know Aslan's coming back and sort of whispered and, and you have to ferry people from one place to the other that I think like anything seditious was like very tingly to me, I think, as a kid. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Well, my mom wrote her, her PhD thesis on secession and how that works in political science. So maybe it was her fault because I was in the womb during that. <laughs> you were, you're absorbing it all. Yeah, I was sitting there. She was like taking her, her test or whatever, just rolling in the goo. <laughs> the Bolshevik goo. Yeah. What a gross thing to say, Erin. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. But I was when Edmund arrives at the White Witch's castle and sees the all of the creatures turn to stone was very effective to me. I feel like there is I don't remember any other things, but I wrote this down of like I feel like across children's media at that time there was like a recurring fear of being turned to stone obviously like that's medusa like tale as old as time but what does that say about like are we afraid of like freezing childhood i went on a very introspective tangent i feel like i remember what you're talking about like i feel like there were a few 
children's media things in a row where the bad thing was like becoming a statue in some way. I think it's like very scary the idea of being alive, but like, like, are they conscious in there? I remember as a kid being like, has time passed yeah. to them? What happens if like your arm breaks off while you're a statue? Like, how does that affect you coming back? And I think also like that scene was really terrifying because it was like, they're so dense. How many frozen ones there are, which is obviously like how many people have been frozen, but like, were they all to come back to life, this would be a space of like a lot of movement, which it is when they all come back to life later. But that's what it was. I was thinking when Aslan and Lucy are going around at the end, like bringing all the people back to life and curing everybody, I was like, this is just like the end of Halloween Town 2. <laughs> the little sister's like running around shouting, I think, Trappa at everyone to like turn them back to their normal self. That's what I thought of. Oh my God. <laughs> There was part of it that was like when they were, I think it was the giant that they mm -hmm. were unfreezing from stone. Like Aslan kisses the feet to make that happen. And I was like, they're doing Jesus metaphors again. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> Stop doing Jesus metaphors. He's a lion. Have you seen Return to Oz? Big movie for me. Very, very frightening children's movie that's like a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. And, and The Wizard of Oz is like, was my thing. It's, I have too much knowledge on it. But there is a scene at the end where everyone has been turned not into like statues, but tchotchkes basically in this king's palace and so she's running around like turning them all back and she's like all the green ones are from Oz and it's like the same kind of thing of like we got a time to bring everybody back to life <laughs> it's still so mind-blowing to me that my boyfriend hasn't consumed this at all because this is like to me the definition of like childhood fantasy media this is the standard yeah, to me, this is like the one, I feel like most people don't know that there's more books. Mm. Just even this one book by itself is so like, it's got talking animals, it's got in the evil witch slash queen, it's got chosen one prophecy heroes who are children who like are going to save the day. I remember also like with the professor, I remember being really surprised that he was like supportive and was like, yeah, yeah I believe you. What a... This could have so easily been a story where all the adults are like, well, I guess there's only one adult. Could, could have been like, fuck yeah. you, I don't believe you, and like made them feel insane. But I thought it was very sweet that the one relevant adult in the story is like, no, what if she's right? And like yeah. encouraging this child's imagination. And I love that like, he approached it from like a logic perspective. And it's like, is this a person who lies? And they're like, no. And then he's like, then she's probably not lying. Like, do you think she would have just changed for some big reason? And I think it's revealed in the first book that, like, the professor was part of founding Narnia, I think. Yeah, I was like, isn't he? He's in on it or something. Yeah. <laughs> I even love when they're playing the game at the beginning. I don't have the exact line, but C.S. Lewis writes something of, like, there is something, like, tugging them towards the wardrobe. And there is, like, something that wants them there. And there's some kind of magic even in our world. I do love that once they realize Edmund has snuck out, Mr. Beaver is like, yeah, I thought he was treacherous from the beginning. <laughs> like, yeah, that kid is bad news. Absolutely telling on us. We gotta go now. I he makes yeah. no time. <laughs> yeah, no time at all. Uh, yeah, I clocked that. We're going. 
this is like in hindsight a Jesus thing of like every time they talked about Aslan they're like we all got this like warm and fuzzy sensation spring is coming and something good is happening and like I think for Edmund the mention of Aslan gave him a mysterious and horrible feeling just as it gave the others a mysterious and lovely feeling because Edmund is to his core a bad little boy yeah they're like this eight-year-old is the antichrist <laughs> <laughs> This eight-year-old is the Antichrist. Yeah. Eight-year-old Judas. <laughs> and then I think the actor who played Edmund in the in like the 2005 whatever year it was, I think he went on to be like a conservative in British Parliament and has like has proven to be a little Edmund in real life. Oh my life. god. When he like is going to the witch after he's left them at the beavers he's like i'm thinking i'll outlaw all beavers and just like all these crazy <laughs> like fascist laws he wants to pass there was something oh my god when he was saying the the laws that he wants to pass yeah. there's something he says about the fucking railways that i was like huh <laughs> <laughs> excuse me i was like is this a direct Mussolini reference from an eight-year-old Oh my god, yeah, Edmund is sitting in class learning about Mussolini, he's like, well, that's the point. <laughs> Effective. Yeah, when they said that, I was like, okay, CS Lewis, is that a purpose? Especially, like, it's 1950. Like, it is yep. in the zeitgeist. It is in the newspapers. Yeah, bro, this is last year yeah. <laughs> for you. When they are with Father Crispus, and just before the line about it's ugly when women fight, Lucy goes, I think I could be brave enough, which I remembered so clearly, and it's like such a gorgeous moment. And then Santa's like, no, misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot it was from Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> even again like you have a whole fantasy world and santa claus is a misogynist like we can't we can't do that <laughs> like no you could never fight you're a woman <laughs> anyway i'm real <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> what a guy the next thing I noticed is that, like, while the witch is trying to catch the beavers, they pass, like, a fox and his friends and his family having Christmas dinner, which is so nice. But the witch, again, like, with Christianity, the witch is, like, chastising them and yelling at them. And she goes, all this gluttony, this waste, this self-indulgence. And I was like, now she's saying very Christian things? I'm so confused. Gluttony's a sin. What? It's like, what figure in the Bible are we supposed to think yeah. you are? <laughs> Is Edmund yeah. Judas? Like, yeah, it, a child Judas? <laughs> yeah. It's all this kid's fault. This eight year old, they only mentioned it twice, but like in all of the White Witch's minions, there's a guy with the body of a bull and the head of a man. And I hated that visual. I hated thinking about that. Yeah. Because like yeah. the good guys have a minotaur, which is like flipped. Yeah, like, I was going to say, kind of a reverse <laughs> minotaur. <laughs> which now I'm even thinking of like, did they like swap? Like, is the head of this guy the body of on the other side? And, and, <laughs> and where's their sequel? Next thing, I have, people who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. And then the wolf attacks, and there's a quote that's: "I won't say there wasn't kissing and crying on both sides, but in Narnia, no one thinks any worse of you for that." And in the witches, evil people, there are. The people of the toadstools. Not people I would peg as evil. 
Yeah, that sounds kind of small and charming, I think. <laughs> Cottagecore 2023. Yeah, um, that sounds cute. Like, I remember finding the witch, like, oddly empowering as a child because it is this, like, the most powerful person in the land is bad, but a lady. Even that much was kind of... <laughs> well, this is kind of girl boss, if nothing else. <laughs> so starved for... <laughs> we just need any representation, please. Yeah. I did love that when they are, when all the siblings are reunited, Aslan takes Edmund off to the side and like gives him a talking to. And then Aslan comes back and he's like, your brother's back and there is no need to talk about what he's done. That's it. I like that, but I am like, mm, there's trauma there. You will need to talk about this eventually. Yeah, he did but. sell you out for candy, which we did try. We did eat Turkish Delight. Yes. The two of I us. Have. They're just like gummies coated in so much powdered sugar. Like, I have to like tap it on yeah. the paper towel. Like a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> literally ash it like a cigarette. I got rose flavored, which the internet said is like the standard flavor. Minor. And you got fruit? Yeah, it's strawberry, peach, melon, tangerine, and blackberry. I definitely see, like, this with British tea time. Very much tracks, but also, like, not enough for your family's life, bro. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, not definitely not, like, a family-ending candy to me. No! It's just so much, it's so much fucking <laughs> sugar. Yes. He's like... out here in the snow eating something that's just... <laughs> And he's got to, like, get back to the wardrobe. And when he's telling on Lucy and lying to everyone, I can just imagine, like, his face and fingers covered with powdered sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Looking guilty as hell. When I tried one of these for the first time, I, like, had it and then thought nothing of it and went about the rest of my night. And then when I looked in the mirror, I had powdered sugar, like, directly <laughs> under the tip of my nose. Like, <laughs> so cartoonish. I was like, what is that? <laughs> I haven't even unwrapped it, and it is falling out of the <laughs> Yeah, it is overwhelming. None of the back of it is in English. Oh, yeah. They are vegan. Yeah, these are vegan. Because no artificial sweeteners, which I find hard to believe. Yeah. They seem exactly like gelatin, so how are they? Yeah, I'm like, what do you, whatever. what's your definition of fucking vegan? <laughs> yeah, whatever. I really love the moment of Lucy and Susan realizing that Aslan is about to die or like that something bad is going to happen and walking with him to the stone table. And I think that like, it was such a gorgeous moment of Aslan being like, I am afraid. And it's really nice to have two friends here walking me to this. It was sad. It made me fucking sad. Like he knows he's going to die. It's a slightly longer quote, but I wanted to at least look for it. I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. Glad that he gave kids that, like like a frame of reference if they have felt that way or feel that way in the future. My version of relating to that as a kid is definitely different than my version of relating to it now yeah i was like yeah when you cry so hard you're like there's no crying left we're we're done there's nothing left to do but to sit with it and then they're really weirdly rude to giants when they turn that giant back into a 
to an alive person. They're like, Mr. Tumnus is like, I've never met a smart one. Um, <laughs> Mr. Tumnus doing microaggressions instantly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yet, forgive him. I love him. <laughs> Did nothing wrong. Multiple times, Aslan is written as clapping his paws together, which I cannot. <gasps> Hilarious! Like, is he a seal? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love the image. Like, yeah. like uh, when they shaped him, and they're like, "Oh, he's just a big cat." I'm like, yeah. "Okay, I know you're trying to say that to be insulting, but like, that's adorable." The battle takes place so much mostly off screen. Like, chapter seventeen is the last chapter. I think the bet starts. The battle was all over a few minutes after their arrival. Most of the enemy had been killed in the first charge of Aslan and his uh, and his companions. It seems like Edmund kind of saves the day. Peter says it was all Edmund's doing, Aslan. We'd have been beaten if it wasn't for him. He Edmund, like, breaks the wand. And then the witch is not powerless, but, like, significantly defeated. I think especially because it takes place off screen, it doesn't feel sufficient to redeem Edmund at all. Yeah, I thought that that would be more of a moment mm -hmm. than it was. I don't know. I'm like, I don't think Edmund earned the redemption that this no. book gives him. No. And going back to Amy March, like, I really stand by Amy March. Like, I think of the four March sisters, I'm an Amy, and she makes her mistakes because she was a child, and then she learns and grows. And maybe Edmund learns and grows as time goes on. But real little shit behavior here. It's a lot more than just burning your sister's manuscript, you know? <laughs> something, something else. Yeah, yeah. The last bits when they are adults living in Narnia. I really read that section very differently, I think, as an adult, because their manner of speech changes. It's suddenly like very royal and, and polished, and they're like, how art thee? And, and wherefore is this? And they like kind yeah. of don't recognize the lamppost anymore. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's a, what do they call it? They're like, it's a something of iron. They they like don't, yeah, yeah they they're like, I don't know what a lamppost is. Lucy's like, it will not go out of my mind that if we pass this post and lantern, either we shall find strange adventures or else some great change of our fortunes. And they're like calling each other madam and fair brother. And then they're suddenly children again. And I think I thought this then a little bit, but now especially it's like, that's messed up. That moment of them landing back has to, has to be such a weird moment. Yeah. Yeah, they lived a whole fucking yeah. life. Do you know how mad I would be if I walked through a door and I was eight again? I'd be so pissed off. I really want to know the political stuff that had to happen there. Yeah, I would like, they're like, they were good rulers and they had a great time for yeah. years and years and years. I'm like, no, tell me. Yeah, how? How? I don't believe how? it. Especially because, like, we know this world can be corrupted. Yeah. But I also loved that the professor automatically knows one that the wardrobe will not work again as a portal and two they will be back and he also says don't tell anyone and do not discuss it amongst each other yeah crazy which now i'm thinking that and aslan saying like don't talk to edmund about his thing is like perhaps very british maybe that's what it is yeah maybe maybe that's a commentary on him being like and the british don't talk about shit and i fucking hate it the end. Fucking hate the British. <laughs> <laughs> and the story was for nothing because the British don't like to talk about their feelings. The end. And they're all not in therapy because it's the 50s. <laughs> but that's all my notes on the book. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss in the, the grand scope of it? I feel like we didn't talk a lot about like the other characters. Yeah. 
I mean, I think Lucy is kind of in many ways the only character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter is brave and Susan is a mom. And Yeah. They're there. They're yeah. like, and this is older brother and his character trait is older brother. And this is mm-hmm. older sister and her character trait is older sister. Yeah. And then like Lucy gets to be a person. Edmund mm-hmm. gets to be a person, but like negative. I feel like I thought that they were all more developed characters for rereading it. I was kind of struck by how little anyone other than Lucy gets to have feelings that are discussed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a really interesting moment when Lucy first sees Edmund after the battle and she's tending to him and Aslan is like, we got to treat the other people. And she's like, no. And she, she gets cross is the word. And I was like, that's a really interesting moment because like after all of this, Lucy still really loves and cares about her brother. I want to spend more time in that moment. And Aslan is like, no, no emotions. We gotta go, baby. Also the fact that they're like, and Aslan's gone again. He'll come back whenever yeah. he's a wild lion. You'll see him. Mm-hmm. When they're unfreezing all of the animals, there's like another lion who's just normal. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. I was like, wait, there's another lion? <laughs> It's <laughs> just regular. <laughs> and Aslan is like, we lions will do this. And the other lion is like, he said we. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, too. like there's two of you. Like, that was so funny to me. Like, okay, there's just another guy. What's your lore for lions? Like, He's not all lions are Jesus, <laughs> just this one. I think Aslan means lion in Turkish or something. Oh. Like, Aslan means lion in some language. So it's like, this is lion. And then there's another one. Aslan is a boy's name that means lion. Yeah, from a, a quick goog. It's from thebump.com, so who knows? Thanks, the but also, like, I, I went on, like, the Narnia wiki, because when they're, when they're in the beaver dam, they're talking about, like, Aslan is the son of the great emperor who, like, lives beyond the sea. And I was like, that, I know, is, like, Jesus and God, but also sounds really interesting and, like, lore-filled. So I went and was like, do we ever get any more information on that? No. Yeah, but... Of course not. Why would we? Why would they give us that incredibly interesting lore drop? Yeah, I'm like, okay, he's a lion. His dad is God. (laughs) There are other lions, but their dad is not God. They're just regular. Yeah. I, a couple episodes back, I read um, Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. And that book was written by a teacher. Oh, this is this is a separate thing that I just have to say. There is a documentary on Amazon Prime about the Wiggles. It is called Hot Potato. I wept beginning to end. Tears of joy. Phenomenal. Three of the four original Wiggles like were child educators, and the fourth one was just in a band with one of the other Wiggles, and they were like, we are making these songs because we understand child psychology. And it was just so good. So sweet and so good. That's adorable. Big love to the Wiggles. I don't even know where I was going with that. Do that. Oh, but I was the Percy Jackson. That was written by a teacher who like had all of his middle school or elementary school students read it. And there was very much a sense of like, these kids were finding plot holes and were being like, what about this? This doesn't make sense. How does that work? And this was a book that was very much like, don't worry about it. Just like, don't ask questions about Aslan. It's, he's just here. He's lying. He's doing whatever he wants. How did he come back to life? Yeah. Nah. The cracking of the stone table. What a magical moment. I'm always going to love that moment. It was was at the time so cool and so badass. And I didn't even care why it happened. Like no questions about it as a kid. Didn't have thoughts about that until I was an adult and was like, okay, I do wish there was an explanation, but don't really care that much. And I also love the, just the idea of a stone table because it's like sort of a, 
a natural function but also has like very mystical magical powers just a, a little world detail i really liked it's such a like visual i don't know like the stone table thing is such a stark visual too i had looked this up but i forgot about it until just now i wanted to look for where the name narnia comes in there is a town in italy called narnia or in italian narni and i think c.s lewis was just like that's nice so we're gonna do that <laughs> Not, hey wherever you can get it from Maybe that's funny we should all go see it in italy <laughs> as clive staples lewis said it yes how do you feel having read this as an adult and come back to visit it? What was the experience like for you? It was very cute to reread. I think most of my feeling was like, I wish I did not know that this was religious yeah. metaphors because I really just enjoyed it for the surface level magic of it as a kid yeah. and like still really liked that now. It was like, I also, it went faster than I thought. And I was like, yeah. I guess as a kid, my brain kind of filled in more details than there were. So that makes sense. So I think I got more out of reading it as a kid because I was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> the target audience, yeah. Yeah. But like, I think that's a good thing. Would you consider it required reading? <laughs> For kids, I would say yes. If you don't tell them that there's a Jesus yes. metaphor. And I wonder if that is in the other books as well. Or if he's just like, let's keep having a good time. I don't remember it being in the other ones, but I, I have no memory of almost any of the other books. So beats me. I didn't get this one and it was incredibly obvious. But like, I think everyone when they are like eight should give every eight year old the copy of yeah. The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe and see if they start exploring stuff more just to be like, just checking that there's yeah. not this in my house just sound check yeah i think it like encourages a level of like curiosity in the world that i i think is really nice and that i think maybe i've lost and i want to get back yeah it's like a curiosity and like wonder of like maybe this ordinary thing has magic yeah behind any door it could be a wonderful adventure waiting for you the door that they never close because <laughs> yeah. every time they go in there they're always like because everyone knows it would be stupid to close the door behind you in a wardrobe i thought like oh is that going to come back up later in a way that i didn't remember and it turns out i feel like that was just c.s lewis telling children if you go in a wardrobe because of this book don't close the door don't get locked in <laughs> yeah i will not be responsible for you locking yourself in the wardrobe you can go in there but don't close the door which I really appreciate, actually. Good, good on you, Clive. Very, very good. Good looking out. Yeah, that was that was my final thought. Is that I appreciated him being like, like that felt like more like he was telling readers, like it is a bad idea to close yeah. the door behind you. Please explore. Please have fun. But here's the real life danger that we don't want you to do. Yeah, good on you, Clive. Is there anything you want to plug? I'm pretty findable. I am on instagram and twitter at max got jokes i'm on tiktok at max got jokes but the last o is zero <laughs> someday i will take the original username from whoever has it because they don't even post they never do whoever has never the original. i am doing a couple shows on the road that i will post about on my social media because i'm like i don't have enough details to be yeah, yeah. This has been so fun. And thank you for making me read a book. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I did that. Thank you for coming. It was so fun. And it's always, a, it's always a treat to go back to Narnia, I think. I might see about the other ones in the series because Audible gives you two books free. That's so good. Nice. Still got another one waiting. Well, thank you so much for coming. I guess, should we shake hands? Close out? Yeah. <laughs> shake, shake hands. Yeah. Don't close the wardrobe <laughs> door. 
Have a good one. It was so nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much to Max for this wonderful episode and chat. I, it sounds like I'm cooking in some of this, and that's on me for using a, a glass with a glass straw. I, I've learned something. Next week, we are talking Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams with Krista Moy. It is a different kind of episode. It is heavy. It is wonderful. And I have to pee so bad. Uh, you can find me everywhere at Aaron R. Bowles. The R stands for rapture. Sound good? All right. See you next time. Thank you. Love you. Bye.